0: We've been going through a series that basically says that we are to not bow the knee, but to trust and worship only the Lord our God, and that, that we needed to make those decisions ahead of time. Over the past few messages, we've been talking about how men and women decided that their faith of their people were more important than what the non-believers had compelled them to do. So they were compelled to either bow and worship or to pray to someone other than to God or to do other things and that they refused uh, risking even their lives. Last week, we took a look a little different. It wasn't a compelling of taking the knee, but that one who came on a different mission decided by the people of God's response to the mocking of their fear and intimidation that he wanted the people of God and those who weren't the people of God to know that there was a God in Israel and that he was the true God. And today we're going to take a look at another one and and his desire through the Lord's leading is not so much to show that there is a God to the others, but to get God's people to recognize who God is and to forsake all the others. And so in this message, I often tell you that uh, when I point a finger, that I understand that when I point the finger, three fingers are pointing back at me. But today I want you to know that not only are three fingers pointing back to me, I'm also pointing the finger. Because there are too many people who claim to be believers, too many churches who have compromised and compromised and compromised, that you no longer know who that they're serving as God. This event that's recorded in the scriptures is one of my favorites. And, it's, and, and the reason for it is you'll hear people say that when you feel like you're losing, you read the end of the book and you'll see that we win. And my comment to that is you don't have to wait that far. At the beginning, you know God wins and we're on his team. And you know in the middle that God wins and we're on his team. And yes, at the end, God wins and we're on his team. But the reason why I like this particular one is using kind of the sports analogy again using football as the analogy, there are times in a game when you feel that the that the team is starting to buckle under the pressure or that they feel like they're being defeated or whatever, and there's this one play, and I'm going to use the person who has the ball, suddenly pancakes the opposition tackler and scores a touchdown. And all of a sudden, because of that one play, the spirits of the team lighten up and they find a renewed vigor and a renewed purpose, and they fight all the more. This is that section, I believe, in the scripture. And we find it in First Kings. And the context is, is that God had told his people long, many centuries before, that if his people did not follow him and did not keep the commands, not only would he ultimately kick them out of the land, but he would have rain to cease. And in case you think that that's a promise God ended with, in the millennial kingdom, it says that if if the people do not recognize the Feast of Booths during the millennial reign, he won't send rain to them. And so God tells Elijah, I don't want to send rain. So pray that no rain be sent. And as a matter of fact, James will talk about how Elijah, with a nature like ours, prayed and there was no rain for three and a half years. And after Elijah prayed that prayer, God secreted him away to a brook and cared for him. And when that brook ran dry, he sent him to a a widow with a, a son. And Jesus even talks about that, were there no widows in Israel, but yet God sent Elijah, to to a foreign widow. And she received the blessing of having cared for God's prophet. And during this period of time, people were looking for Elijah. And the king was looking for uh, Elijah because they considered Elijah the problem as opposed to themselves being the problem. And so no one could find him and, and they kept searching. And so at that point, Elijah comes upon the scene because God now says I want you to go and I'm going to send rain but there's some things I want you to take care of and so he goes to Obadiah Elijah who is a prophet and Obadiah is a prophet and he goes to Obadiah and he tells Obadiah I want you to go to King Ahab and send him a message that I want to meet with him and Obadiah's response is what have I done to hurt you Because as soon as I tell the king where you are, you won't be there and he will kill me. And Elijah goes, no, no, it's okay. You can can make sure that it's okay. And so uh, we come to this point in verse 16. It says, so Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him what the, the word of the Lord had come to Elijah in the third year saying, go show yourself. Uh it's it's moving on me before I'm ready. Uh, um and when Obadiah Okay, I'm I'm messing up, so that's my fault. Um so Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him, and Ahab went to meet Elijah. A little technical, you're gonna to have to control this because they're little tiny squares and I can't read them. Okay. So now that we got that technical difficulty out of the way. And so um, they, they meet. In verse 18 it says, And he said, I have not, have I not troubled Israel? I'm sorry. Verse 17, When Ahab saw Elijah, Ahab said to him, Is this you, O troubler of Israel? And so again, he complains that it's Elijah who's the problem, not him. And then he Elijah said, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have, because you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and you have followed the Baals. He's saying, instead of following God, you've been following false gods. And that's the reason Israel is in trouble, not me. It says in verse 19, Now then send and gather to me all Israel at Mount. Now, if you're from the south, it's pronounced Carmel. If you're from California, it's car- called Carmel. So it, no matter what I say, you're going to think I'm wrong. Because if you're from the South, you're going to say, no, no, it's Mount Carmel. And if you're from California, you go, no, no, there's a town up there, and it's called Carmel. And it's spelled the same way. So you pick the way you want it heard. But I'm going to say, I'm going to use both. Okay. So so it says, go uh get all Israel and go to Mount Carmel together with 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asherah to eat at Jezebel's table. Now Jezebel was the wife, the queen of King Ahab. And so basically what Elijah says is we're going to have a meeting. We're going to have all of Israel come at this meeting. And I want you to bring 850 prophets a foreign God, and me. Seems like a fair battle, right? You're going to send all these people, and we're going to be me. So verse 20, so Ahab sent a message among all the sons of Israel and brought the prophets together at Mount Carmel. And Elijah came near to all the people and said, How long will you hesitate between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him but if baal is follow him so he ends down he goes how long are you going to go back between two opinions if if the Lord is God then follow him but if Baal is the God then follow him do not keep going back and forth this is where we find Christianity today people have so compromised the word of God that you hardly know that it's the word of God because we bought into it. We want to have our best life. We want to have our purpose. We want to do our thing. We want to have wisdom and power and fame and, and wealth and all of these things and influences. And if you take a look at our society, there's never been more depression. There's never been more despair. At the same time, we're supposedly richer than at other times. Because people keep wanting to go after the false gods of our society and our culture, rather than obeying them. And if you take a look, and it's frustrating, because all too often we can never tell between a believer and a non-believer. We all act the same. We all talk the same. We all have the same tattoos. We all do the same. Where's the difference? And that's what Elijah is going. Why are you hesitating? Act as if God is God, or act as if Baal is God, but don't keep picking and choosing. And we keep picking and choosing. When God is delivering us from some difficulty, we say, oh, praise God. Then we seek other things. And the question is, is God God? Is Jesus the Son of God? Did he, in fact, raise from the dead? And he did. So if he did, then we ought to act as if he's God. But it's interesting that the people of God are always acting like the people of God. So you would think, that you're right, Elijah. We've been convicted. We're going to follow God. But the people did not answer him away. They couldn't make a commitment. Because so far it seemed that life was working out, except it wasn't raining. It, you know, crops are dying, whatever, but you know but, you know. And it's we take a look at people's lives who are crumbling, we go, You haven't hit bottom yet. And That's kind of they're at this stage of going, We're not gonna we're not gonna make a decision here, even though we haven't got rain for three and a half years. And it's looking like God is really God, but the jury's out. Verse 22. Then Elijah said to the people, I alone am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal prophets are 450 men. Now, Elijah is not quite accurate here. As he's been out on his own, being faithful to God. But Obadiah hid a hundred prophets from Ahab because he was seeking to kill all the prophets. But Elijah felt, and kind of rightfully so, he was it. But you have a whole nation who doesn't know whether God is God. And you have, in essence, 850 prophets on the other side. But for dramatic effects, it's on me and 850 guys. Now let them give us two oxen and let them choose one of the ox for themselves and cut it up and place it on the wood, but put no fire under it. And I will prepare the other ox and lay it on the wood and I will not put a fire under it. Then you call on the name of your God and I will call on the name of the Lord and the God who answers by fire. He is God. So he goes, here's my challenge. We're going to take, Two offerings. We're going to take two oxes. You're going to take an ox. You're going to cut it up. You're going to put it on your altar. You're going to do all these things. And then I'm going to do the same thing. And then you get to pray. And I get to pray. And whoever God answers by fire, not by water, not by emotion, but a demonstration of fire on the offering, he's God. That's the challenge. And the people said, That's a good idea. Isn't it interesting? It is a good idea. But they didn't have to make any commitment. Before, follow God or don't follow God, and they they remain silent. Now it's like, well, here's the contest. They go, we don't have any skin in the game. Sounds great to me. So Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, Choose one ox for yourself and prepare it first for your, for you are many and call on the name of your God, but put no fire under it. Because You get to go first, giving you the advantage. Then they took the ox which was given to them, and they prepared it and called on the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, O Baal, answer us. But there was no voice and no one answered. And they leaped about on the altar, which they had made. So, I have difficulty having you stay here about an hour. They start from the morning until noon, trying to get their God to answer them, and nothing's happening. At least we sing, and we pray, and we do a few things, and and I give a message, and maybe it's uh, pretty good for a quarter. You know, know, something's happening, and then you say, well, when do we go to lunch? Half the day, nothing's happening. Kind of boring. So they get more, more emphatic. So after leaping, so so it came about at noon that Elijah mocked them and said, Call out with a loud voice, for he is a god. Either he is occupied or gone aside, or is on a journey, or perhaps he's asleep and needs to be awakened. He goes, You're not talking loud enough. Start yelling and screaming. Maybe you need to get his attention. Maybe he's gone. You know. Maybe maybe he took a trip. Maybe it's time to go to Fiji instead of whatever. You know. Or, or maybe it's his new nap, you know, and he's getting a power nap. So, you know, and I'm I'm loving this. I I wish Hollywood make a a movie out of this because this is awesome. So they they're doing all this stuff, and he's gone. So they cried with a loud voice and cut themselves according to their custom with swords and lances until blood gushed out on them. So they're going. What is it that we can do to get our God to act? And so they're yelling and screaming and dancing and leaping and using swords and lances and cutting themselves and doing also so that they bleed. They're doing their part. When midday was passed, they raved until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, but there was no voice, no one answered, and no one paid attention. Let me give you a reason why. Because there was nobody home. Because there is no other God but God. So they can dance and they can sing and they can leap and they can cut themselves and do all this stuff and they can yell and scream. But since there is no God, there's no one to answer. So pretty much they spent all day. Then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. So all the people came near to him and he repaired the altar of the Lord which had been torn down. So notice first he goes, here's the problem. You took the altar of God and you tore it down. I'm going to rebuild it. And Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the son of Jacob, to whom the word of the Lord had come, saying, Israel shall be your name. So with the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench around the altar, large enough, to hold two measures of seed. Then he arranged the wood and cut the oxen pieces and laid it on the wood. And he said, fill four pitchers with water and pour it on the burnt offering and on the wood. He said, do it a second time. And they did it. They did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. And the water flowed around the altar. And he also filled the trench with water. Elijah's saying, I don't want any excuses. I don't want you to, at the end of this, say, well, you know, because of it was out in the sun all day, they caught fire. He's taken away every single excuse that they could give for why God was not God. So he drenched it. And if you've ever tried to start a fire in a camp with wet wood that is wet, Good luck. At best, you get some smoke. At the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, today let it be known that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and I have done all these things at your word." You see, Elijah is not seeking for the world to know that he's God. He's seeking that the people of God might know that God is God. What a shame. I think we should spend our efforts and time and money and all these other things to communicate the gospel to a world that doesn't know him. And instead, he's having to re-win the people of God. He's saying, God... I want them to know who you are and that you sent me. Answer me, O Lord. Answer me that this people may know that you are, O Lord, our God, and that you have turned their hearts back again. You see, he's saying, I want you to show that you're God. I want them to see that I'm a prophet, but I want their hearts turned back. That should be our desire to have those who claim that they once knew God to turn their hearts back to him. for those who never knew him to her- turn their hearts to him. That should be our purpose. He isn't there to mock them to mock the false God, so that their hearts might be turned back to God. Then the fire fell. Of the Lord, then the fire of the Lord fell on the and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trenches. God completely consumed the offering, the altar, and all the water. It wasn't just a little bit of a match, it was a complete fire of consummation. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. They finally saw the truth. We had men and women to show their faith by refusing the dictates of non-believers. And we now see one, who's challenging the people of God to return back their hearts to him. And sometimes that's what we have to do. We have to spend as much time hitting the people who claim to know God to actually live as if he's God. Which opinion do you have? The one that just living this life is good enough for the one that following God is the ultimate life. Because I tell you this, you may live your best life now. Walking with God is your best life. And walking with him in eternity is even greater still. You can live a life of of a billionaire. But you only live that life a short time. God offers a life of eternity. Then Elijah said to them, seize the prophets of Baal. Do not let one of them escape. So they seized them. And Elijah brought them down to the brook Kidron and slew them there. We might say, oh, that's pretty harsh. We are told. We are to love our enemies, and I believe it, and I try to do it. It's difficult at times, I understand, but I can't say that it's not in the Scriptures, and I'm not one of those who say, just because I don't like it doesn't mean it's not there. However, I'm going to give you some homework. Does the Scripture ever tell you to love the enemies of God? We're supposed to love our enemies. But you see, these prophets have turned the hearts away from God's people. They deserve what they got. So I'm not sorry for them. As far as I'm concerned, using my analogy, they just got pancaked. And God lord it touched. Them. The end of the context is here. Elijah then goes and says, Ahab, you can take off, but I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray that there'd be rain. For you see, God had told Elijah to pray for no rain, and now he's saying, three and a half years later, pray for rain. Elijah goes and he, he presents himself in a prayer a little differently. Most people say when we pray we're on our knees or we raise our hands to the ceilings or we close our eyes or we bow our head. You know, all these things are or sometimes even when we're that desperate we sprawl out prostrate with our face to the ground saying God help me whatever. Elijah is going to take a form of prayer It would be very difficult for me at this stage because my gut and my diaphragm would get in the way. But basically, he bends down and puts his head between his knees. I couldn't breathe very long if I did that. So, Elijah must have either been a thin man or was in extremely good shape. So, he takes that posture of prayer and he prays that God would bring rain and nothing happened. He sends his is uh, attending out, nothing's happening. He does seven times. Shows you a man of persistence. All too often we, well, I prayed once. God had told Elijah to pray. Prayed seven times. And then the, the, uh, the attendant goes, I see a cloud about the size of a man's fist out in the distance. Elijah goes. Keep going, because there's going to be a lot of them. So they start taking off, and Ahab and his chariots going down the road and whatever. And all of a sudden, this is why it should be a great movie. Elijah running faster than the chariot and overtakes the chariot and runs past it. See, you can't you can't make movies better than this. So you know, yeah, the Bible's thousands of years old. It's it's great stories that are true. And you would think, okay, there's this great mountaintop experience. Elijah just faced 850 prophets, defeated them, got the peoples to turn their hearts back to the Lord, and everything is wonderful. Except the queen, whose name is Jezebel, issues a contract on his life. And Elijah gets depressed and hides out in the cave. And he's going, oh, woe is me. I'm the only one left. He just had a great revival. I'm the only one left. He just killed 850 prophets. Somebody ought to ask you, what are you doing? He goes, I'm going to Disneyland. No, he's hanging out in a cave, depressed. Now I understand because sometimes when you're used by God, there is this sense of this mountaintop experience. Many times if you've gone on retreat, a religious retreat or whatever, and you feel really close to God and everything's awesome, you go, I'm going to live this way forever. And then you come down and you, live 15 minutes in life and all of a sudden you're just like life sucks. Terrible. You were just experiencing God. Yeah I know but whatever. And that's where Elijah, he just had the mountaintop experience of anyone's life. And now he's hanging out in a cave because one woman said you should die. And God comes to him. He doesn't come to him in an earthquake or a storm or a great wind. He comes to him in a still, small voice. It says, Elijah, you're not alone. I have more than a hundred prophets who have not bowed the knee to Baal. For here is well. And there are times when we may feel like we're all alone. That no one else cares about God and whatever. I got people you don't know doing things that you don't know. My little add to this is even if we don't, we still should continue to serve the Lord our God. Whether He takes our life or spares our life, whether we're in a cave or in a palace, because He's worthy. And yes, sometimes God has called us to take a stand against those who aren't believers. And sometimes he calls us to take a stand against those who say they are believers. But we need whether it's the world or the church, we need to be faithful to him, consistent to him, knowing the word of God. Declaring the word of God and acting like the word. There have been many people who have said, if Christians live their life as if Jesus rose from the dead, then maybe other people would believe it as well. You see, Satan is mischievous. He doesn't get us to do things that are obviously... He just distorts the word of God just to say, "You can compromise on this. You can compromise." What I mean by love is this. What I mean by acceptance is this. What I mean by tolerance is this. And all of a sudden, the best ex- expression, and in, 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 I don't mean. I mean this as a compliment. There was a, a, a African American pastor who came and preached revival at this church many, 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 many decades ago. And he touched on one of the subjects that nobody ever wants to hear on, and it's on tithing. And he would say, you know, people would say you could deduct your taxes, and you could deduct living expenses, you deduct this. And he goes, pretty soon you deduct it all and the Lord had nothing. That's the way Satan tries to do with our faith. You don't really have to believe that. You really don't have to believe it. You really don't have to, you can deduct all, you know, Jesus really didn't say that. And Jesus really didn't mean that. And Jesus was something that he never showed in the scriptures. And suddenly... There's no Bible left. Because you deduct it all. And there's nothing left. We need to take a stand for the Word of God, just as Elijah had done. And hopefully, not that we can say, I'm right, and "I'm I a wonderful person, but to get the people of God to repent and to turn their hearts back to Him. Wouldn't that be a glorious day? And all God's people said.